Hey, hey, it's Andy Honest, and you're listening to another episode of Pod Slamma Jamma, no longer presented by anybody, presented by us, presented by Let's Rage Kooks. As you see in the corner there, we have a new logo, a new brand. You'll see it up and when we uh, unveil our intro. But on this episode, we will talk more about what went wrong against Texas Tech. We'll hear what Dana Hogerson and Doug Belk had to say. Obviously, of course, a lot of issues um, in the double overtime loss to the Red Raiders. And we'll look ahead at Kansas. Plus, we'll debut a new series coming up uh, focusing on name, image, and likeness. Don't go anywhere. You're watching Pod Slime Jam. After the penalty, look at the time he has and look at the throw and catch. Take down, touchdown, Cougars. Rexon, what a half to Anders. Hakeem Bottom. He'll have six steals in the first half. There's Blair with the steal. Picked up by Cam Jones. On the offensive glass, so tough. And that's third game, two possessions. Sasser tries and he hits. They call him Prize Wemma Jam. Like you could see during the intro screen, we have a brand new logo where we're able to incorporate that football. And joining me as always, Dayon Dunlap. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So let's get right into it. Obviously, of course, um, the Houston Cougars suffered their first defeat of the season in week two against Texas Tech. Um, 30, a 33-30 loss in double overtime. Uh, a lot of good, a lot of bad um, in that game. And just kind of to, to give a quick recap of it, just in terms of early on in the first half, once again, the Houston offense struggled to get a lot of stuff going. They only managed to put up three points in that first half. They were trailing 17-3. So once again, they found themselves in a, a two-touchdown haul, but uh, give credit to the defense that played really well for about three quarters and and probably 80% of the game um, just in terms of being able to, to really limit the Texas Tech offense. Uh, they, they got three interceptions. Uh, Derek Parrish, who's going to be a player that we talk about a lot in this episode, was a force to be reckoned with. Set uh, two different, broke two different American Athletic Conference records with four and a half sacks, six and a half tackles for loss. He had 11 tackles total. So, Dayon, just before we get into any of the clips, what were your overall takeaways of uh, the game against Texas Tech? Oh, man, I guess my overall takeaway of Houston, in my opinion, hasn't taken that next step as a program to not be in the, um, I don't know what tier you would call it, but I think there's tiers in college football. And in my opinion, um, by losing the Tech, it's proven me that we're still in the same tier um, that I thought we we weren't in and really kind of turning that corner and be able to beat mediocre football programs or programs that are kind of like us, I should say, in the same boat of trying to establish that they are a team year in, year out, and going to be good year in, year out, and in that upper echelon or top tier of teams that are competing for um, a conference championship and a um, college playoff football spot year in, year out. And so I think they're still chasing that. Um They've got they got better um, over the years, but that was my main takeaway overall. 
Yeah, for sure. And obviously, when you when you focus on that game against the Red Raiders, there were a lot of, honestly, a lot of costly, self-inflicted wounds among Houston, where they, especially early on, it didn't seem like they could get out of their way. Um, for the second straight week, Tankdale had a punt return touchdown called back on a penalty this time, a roughing the kicker. There was another instance. I can't remember if it was in the first quarter or in the second quarter, but the defense had gotten tech to, to fourth down situation, and then two penalties back-to-back. So there was one penalty that extended the Tech's drive. They got him to fourth down again. And then once again, an unnecessary roughness penalty extended the drive again. So just a lot of those mistakes, they were overall committed. 11 penalties total that cost them 121 yards on the day, which is a ridiculous amount of penalties. And now, like we mentioned, it's starting to, to take points off the board. Here's what Daniel Hogerson had to say about his overall thoughts in that Tech game and what went, uh, what went wrong against the Red Raiders. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I've been uh, pretty careful with how I've approached, um, you know, my thought process on that a little bit. I mean, you never pinpoint one play that affects the game. If we don't, if we don't kill the punter in the first quarter, it probably didn't come to overtime. I mean, how many times did returns win us games last year? Three. So, you know, we got away with it a week ago, but didn't get away with it this week. Not to pinpoint that being the reason that we lost. Um, there's a lot of things that, that, that could have happened throughout the course of the game. Um, when it comes right down to it, we didn't, we didn't finish the right way. Um, you go into the second overtime, our, our job as an offense is to score a touchdown. And we got to the three-yard line and did not do that. Um, when defense goes out there, our job in the red zone is to go them to a field goal, and we didn't do that. Uh, finished games last year really well. Uh, didn't finish this game the way that we needed to to be able to win. We would have been lucky to get out of there with the win with as much dumb stuff that happened. It's as simple as that. You know, when you play a Big 12 opponent, when you play a championship game like Cincinnati, uh, you can't do that stuff. And our, our program needs to learn to be more disciplined. There's no question. Too many penalties, too many dumb things. There's a busted, busted coverage on fourth and 20. Dumb. Uh, inexcusable. Our safeties were too deep. I mean, I can get technical. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't play that play like we should. Uh, it would have been very easy to stop them on fourth and 20. The only thing that really you give up is a Hail Mary. So yeah, I mean it's bad. But is that why we lost? No, too many, too many things happen. Um, you know, red off, offense's inability to be able to score touchdowns in the red zone, I could argue, cost us the game. You know, we get down there six times and score twice. That, that don't you don't win when you do that. So, <clears throat> you know, well, welcome to uh, welcome to our preview of Big Twelve. A lot of costly penalties, like Homerson reiterated, too many penalties to be able to pinpoint one play that, that cost uh, Houston the game. Do you agree with uh, Dana Homerson's sentiment there, uh, just in terms of too many mistakes by the Cougars? Yeah, for sure. I mean, how can you watch that game and not agree with what he's saying? Everything he said was pretty true and right on point. Too many penalties, too many dumb plays, dumb penalties, um, misreads, um, just different things that to where Houston – um, 
could have won that game and probably should have won that game, but they didn't win that game. So they are what they record says they are and mm-hmm. what we put on film. And so um, I think he's definitely uh, very honest um, with every word that he said for sure. Right, and uh, one of the pivotal plays of of the game, like you mentioned, it, and this is where you, you got to take the good with the bad because Houston does deserve props to being able to, to claw its way back into the game and, and be at a point where, like you said, they should have won. Uh, they were able to take the go-ahead lead. Uh, the defense, for the most part, had shut out Texas Tech for almost the entire second half until it got down to the final 36 seconds. And then Houston, uh, again, going back to those three interceptions, where Javarius Owens on that pick had set up Houston in position to win the game and they weren't able to to run out the clock like they 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 probably wanted to when that drive started uh they settle for the field goal they take the the three-point lead with about 30 seconds 36 seconds left Texas Tech goes down the field and they tie in then in overtime once again that fourth and 20 if Houston gets the stop they win the game they go home they get out of Lubbock they get back to, to TDCU Stadium 2-0 and they just couldn't complete it. And something that Doug Belk said uh, during his availability on Tuesday is that you know, 90% of the Houston season so far in the first two games has been uh, probably pretty good, uh, You, with uh, exceptions on the offense that has struggled uh, for, for most of it. But there's that 10%, those errors that, that have really cost Houston, and that's going to be something they're going to have to clean up against a Kansas team that's going to be a, a much more improved Kansas team. They were able to get an impressive road win at West Virginia, but here, let's hear what Doug Buck had to say more, uh, more specifically about those issues against Texas Tech. You know, it's really disheartening because it takes away from so much positive that we had in the game. Um, you know, a couple career performances, six sacks, 12 TFLs, Three interceptions, pick six, and then, you know, G gets the pick there at the, uh, you know, at the end of the game and balls on the 21 with a minute left. And I think our guys just relaxed, um, felt the game was over. Um, we played over 100 plays. And, you know, the message this week has been no matter what you do in the game, uh, we got to be able to finish in the first two weeks. We didn't do a good job of finishing the game. Uh, so we've addressed that. We got to continue to get better, something to learn from. Uh, my responsibility to make sure these guys are ready to play and finish the game no matter what the situation is two overtime games a lot of plays played and you know fatigue makes a coward of us all and you know when you're tired and, and things are on the line you got to be able to execute and we didn't do that um last week so cost us a uh, major and, and it's very disheartening um especially for me because my job is to do everything i can to make sure that those guys are in position to make plays and be successful on and off the field Defensive coordinator Doug Buck with a pretty good quote right there. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. But just overall, again, uh, I think interesting hearing him say that he felt that the team kind of let the foot off the gas a little bit after the the pick by Javarius Owens, and they probably felt like the the win had been secured. Maybe um, he would has a sense of the team better than I would, but I will say um, that his unit overall has played pretty good. And for me personally, I can't put the onus on the co on the defensive coach. Um, although it's like he is, I would say it's his job, like he did, to have them in a position and put in responsibilities. But at the end of the day, plays players make plays, mm-hmm. and so with um, 
I, I think the onus of players, I'm sure if you talk to them, we talk to them, they would say it's my fault, whatever, it's certain plays that I did this, I did that. But if you just look at the grand scheme of things, upper echelon teams, like I talked about in the beginning, don't make those type of mistakes to beat themselves. You rarely see an Alabama team give up plays like that to lose a game. Um, the Clemsons, the Georgias, the teams year in, year out that are competing to win their conference and to be in the college football playoff. And then you look at the teams that make plays like that, um, they're typically uh, up and down year from year to year. And so, I mean, you you got the players. I I don't know what it is, those type of things, those mental laps, those plays to beat yourself. You you, got to change that. Um, Whatever sport it is, when you turn it over and you beat yourself like that, it's hard to win. For sure, and like you mentioned, this is a uh, overall top to bottom and much more veteran-led team just in terms of um, something that Dana Horson mentioned heading into training camp where uh, the, I think the average age of the team is around 22 or 22 and a half. I, I can't remember the exact number, but uh, these aren't necessarily uh, the freshman or, or young core, so that is something when it comes to those lapses that they have to get cleaned up, and um, maybe if he would have asked at the beginning of the uh, training camp, probably wouldn't have been something that would have been a top of this but when it comes to mistakes like penalties and stuff like that so it'll be interesting to see if they can clean that up week three heading into kansas a home opener and i think the biggest thing and i'll, I'll leave it at this and i'm curious to get your thoughts on this but i feel like that houston let a big opportunity kind of slip by their hands just in terms of had they you know, obviously of course we know the offense struggled but they didn't necessarily have their best game but had they been able to find a, a way to win the game again going back to what the defense had been able to do for much of that game if they hang on they beat texas tech whether it was at the end of regulation or in in the overtime period it would probably be a lot more buzz heading into the home opener against kansas where you know like you said maybe people start to to buy in that houston has jumped into a new tier um and now it's kind of i feel like it, it kind of got rid of a lot of that buzz around the program would say you yeah i would agree with that because when you lose to teams like texas tech it's like losing to a team to like kansas and so mm-hmm. no one that i know is now excited coming up for your team to be home um to play a team like kansas in which um, if you win that Texas Tech game, you'd probably be a favorite. Now, I haven't looked at the odds or the spread, but that would probably be a closer game you know, or a game that they might predict to lose. And so I think for Houston fans, it's just probably um, disappointed or not as excited as they would be for a team that's undefeated. And you know for sure that um, they are good now because you're coming off a year and went your best year in a while. So people are still hyping there anticipating like is this really real can i really 100 percent buy in and trust this football team um game in and game out no matter the opponent and so um i think they definitely lost some, some hype some some juice around the program because of that loss to texas tech for sure and that's going to do it for our first segment coming right up the debut of a three-part series of three-part segments focusing specifically on name image and likeness sponsored by juan miranda uh alum uh, you'll catch that on the other side special thanks to mike pittman of star pizza and hoop and hodler as he'll take us uh kind of a peek behind the curtain of what it was to start the hoop and hodler initiative don't go anywhere you're listening to pod slam a jam The following name, image, and likeness segment is sponsored by Houston alum 
Juan Miranda. You can find him on Twitter at Texas Juan. Once again, on Twitter, Houston alum, and he is the sponsor of this name, image, and likeness segment. Joining me for one of many throughout uh, the fall, heading into the the meat and bones of the football season, and this will actually go into early of the basketball season. So, Mike, thank you for taking the time out of your day to speak with me. Obviously, you are uh, with Start Pizza. Mike, how are you doing? Very good. Good, good. So like I mentioned at the top, we're going to be speaking about name, image, and likeness. And obviously, of course, uh, when it comes to you, Mike Pittman, you are a part or you are the co-owner, correct, of the Hoop and Holler Micro Collective um, for UH basketball and football fans, correct? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So obviously this segment, these segments are going to be kind of focusing on NIL in Houston and across the college world, something that that has changed since uh, the summer of, of 2021. But I want to start to get your story behind this perspective. Hoop and Holler, um, I think many of UH fans know you guys more best for the Star Pizza commercials that have, I mean, we, we've run them on as Rich Cruz. They've been phenomenal. But uh, before we get into that, I kind of want to get into the story behind uh, what, where did the idea for Hoop and Holler start? Sure. So we, my wife, Jennifer, and I really last season through the basketball season had were a little bit aware, aware of where the NIL landscape was going, um, what other schools were doing. And U of H being kind of a – Houston being such a big city and U of H being what it is as far as fan base goes, there's a lot of fan participation – in sports, but not always, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of participation outside of the actual sporting event, which is something that we saw in other cities and, and hope to see more of in Houston. So in the end of last basketball season, we really looked at kind of the landscape in Houston versus the landscape outside of Houston. And without sort of raising a flag and saying, somebody do something. We, we saw how other schools were going out and you know, Florida state had some big stuff. SMU had some big things happening. There were big stuff happening at USC. Um, and I, I didn't know, I didn't really have the time ourselves to run a, to me really run a new business that would be big enough to be considered a huge NIL. So we decided we would, kind of start something small and let's see we with the restaurant we kind of already had a built-in client that I, I felt like we had a platform that people might pay attention to and we're, we're kind of fortunate that they did and uh, running it up that way really worked best for us because it gave us an opportunity to, to learn as we went and test the waters and and kind of throw something like you said throw something together on a weekend um, make it a legal entity and kind of go from there. And that was really where we started. And then once we had it, we weren't quite sure what to do with it. So mm-hmm. it was, well, let's just shoot for the moon. So reach out to, we had put Marcus Sasser on our sign at Star Pizza and he responded to that, which was kind of a shock. And we thought that was pretty funny. And then we realized, well, if he's responding to that, maybe he would respond to doing an NIL thing. And then that's kind of how the, the snowball started rolling downhill. Mm-hmm. And just to take a step back, can you talk a little bit about what all the, the, the legal process was so Hoop and Holler could become, like you said, a legal entity? And, and what, what was that like? Uh, what was the paperwork that you guys had to fill out? If um, Really, very, like? 
We're, it was mm-hmm. it was simple. It's as much as you know. If we were going to go out and do something, we didn't want it to be uh, uh, a joke or that's not a real thing. It's a legal entity, and and it gave us the opportunity and a platform to scale it however we really wanted. We didn't really have an interest in doing the nonprofit route. That's a whole different beast that we weren't quite ready to tackle. Uh, but it gave us the opportunity to put some of our own funds behind something and the restaurant participated a little bit and, you know, go out, go out and create. We like to create and have fun with things and, and be goofy with it because it's the, these guys, they're serious on the court and on the field. They don't need to be serious when they're coming out and playing around with pizza. It's pizza. Mm-hmm. Right. So the name Hoop and Honda, where, where did that come from? Where, where did you guys come up with it? Well, you know, sometimes I, I've read that you you come up with some of your best ideas or, or most fun ideas when you're really not thinking about anything. And when we started talking about what to name or what, okay, we're going to do this thing. What are, what are we going to name it? I didn't, I, I didn't really know the direction we wanted to go. We were at first more focused with basketball with sort of a, in the future, maybe get into the football a little bit, some other sports. Uh, so trying to come up with something that had basketball like hoop in it and also celebration, the the term hoop and holler kind of just hit me. And when I said it, my wife didn't say no right away. So I knew that I might have a winner. <laughs> Were there any difficulties that you guys faced when launching it or was it just much more of a straightforward process? Like, like you mentioned, just being able to, to fill out the, all the paperwork that was necessary to become. That was uh, really, yeah. that was really the big thing to me was if I can do it on the weekend and maybe a little bit on Monday, then a lot of people should be able to pull off something like we did. And that was sort of the the idea moving forward with doing some of the Star Pizza commercials and some of the name, image, and likeness uh, relationships that we created was to really show that it's not easy, but it's doable. And mm-hmm. a lot of people can do it. You don't have to be Tillman Fertitta or a millionaire to go do an NIL deal. And you don't have to give away a Lamborghini for the weekend. You can do something smaller. We're a small mom and pop restaurant and it's, it, we've, we're, we like to think we're an institution in Houston, but we're only as good as our last pizza. So throwing that mm-hmm. stuff out there was uh, something different for us. We don't advertise. So this was a whole new thing. And it was more of a building a relationship than we looked. We looked at it that way more than we looked at it like advertising. Mm-hmm. And like you said, building that relationship was probably the, mo- the most crucial thing for you guys just to be able to get off the ground and, and get a lot more eyeballs around, uh, like you mentioned, you guys' restaurant, but also Hoop and Holler as a whole. You mentioned that you guys reached out to Sasser. Um, I believe you said it was on social media, correct? We did. And you guys were, were surprised when he when he reached out or when he got back to you guys. Where Was it just like, hey, let, let's see – what, what was that process like? What was the thinking behind, hey, let's just reach out to him and see where it goes from there? Well, when we first put uh, Marcus on our sign, uh, we have a, a, a big Las Vegas style LED sign on Washington Avenue, mm-hmm. uh, our star pizza over there. And when we put his picture on there, I had sort of jokingly put a, you know, please don't leave Marcus or please stay kind of picture. And a couple of people saw it that I'd showed it to before I put it up there and they said, I, I don't know. And, and I said, I'm going to do it anyway. Just see, just see if I get any response. 
And we took a picture of the sign and put it on our social media at the restaurant. And everybody it got a lot of traction. And we people people thought at that point that we had an NIL deal with Marcus. And really, to me, it was just hoping that he was going to stay, you know, and Mm -hmm. sort of showing that we're part of the fan base and this is going to be fun. Let's make some fun of it. So we didn't really know where to go with it from there. Uh, But at that point, I felt like I also owed it to Marcus to do an NIL deal, not knowing if he would say yes or no. But he said yes right away. So we went with it. And and what was that um, once you guys – had that agreement with Sasser that you were going to work out some NIL type of deal. What was being able to get the specifics of like those agreements and those I'd imagine, was it a negotiation or what, what was that conversation like? Sure. So we kept it simple enough and we didn't ask for much um, because I knew that we weren't going to, we weren't going to have to take out a loan to go do this. This Mm -hmm. is something I needed to keep simple and uh, I hadn't quite learned to do one at a time yet. And I had, since I thought Marcus would say no, I had reached out to Tremont Mark at the same time. They both said yes. So then I, I couldn't tell one of them, well, okay, well, we'll do something later. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wasn't quite sure what to do with both of them at the same time, but we wound up getting them together at the same time, and that worked out great. So <laughs> negotiation-wise, it was... Uh, I tried to make it I, – I really did look and do some research into what are other schools doing, what are other athletes asking for uh, before I went and made our initial pitch. So it wasn't through the roof, and it was, uh, like I said, not something we had to go take out a loan for. Uh, but these were, to me, were some of the biggest players in the game today. So it, it meant a lot for them to uh, want to have a relationship with a restaurant. That was a big deal to me. Well, Mike, I, I think you're a professional at this because you just read one of the bullet points that I had prepared for the show in terms of getting inspiration from what some of uh, other places were doing at other schools. Was there one in particular that, that you kind of uh, maybe uh, it stuck out to you and you were able to use a lot for inspiration or what was that process like? Well, there was. Uh, I like a lot of sports. I like a lot of teams. I, I follow a lot of the teaching and things that Nick Saban does. There's nothing wrong with him being a successful coach. So I looked at what some of his players were asking for and what they were doing and deals they were doing. And I figured in the marketplace, that's probably pretty high end. And so we went uh, around that number and kind of started there. And I figured if, if they said no, then I probably couldn't afford it, but they didn't say no. So, so that worked out. Okay. So that was sort of the, the basis of my research was to go with some of the number one ranked teams. What are they asking for? What are they, what kind of things are they doing and follow that lead a little bit. Gotcha. And just in terms of uh, going back again to the negotiations, is that, was that like an actual contract that you guys have to sign or what, what is that like? Yes, there is. There was initially uh, we started with our own proprietary contract, uh, just a few pages. uh, And it was something that I'd really, uh, found on the internet and changed it around to fit what exactly what we were doing to be more personal for each of the athletes. And then as we move forward, we realized that we could do a lot of that through open doors. And that was a, a game changer for me because it made it super simple. The awkward, let's go sit down and sign some paperwork completely went away. 
everything was done online and it was click this, send that offer. It's accepted. It's done. When can we get together? Gotcha. Well, Mike, I'm about to let you go for the first segment. So is there anything else that you'd like to add just in terms of uh, the whole process of being able to launch it? Was there anything, any details that, that you would like to add and something maybe that if someone else is looking to start a collective, they should know about if you could go back and give yourself advice, we'll phrase it that way. If you could go back, give yourself advice when you were beginning and launch a hoop and holler, what, what would it be? Uh, the experience is the key. Look at doing things that you think are fun, that you would want to do. And that was really once we learned how to how to own the experience, it really was a lot more fun. Some of the stuff like we did with D.A. Jones uh, and with Hawk from the equipment team. Those were things that were just like, let's just go be silly and let's make it fun and and find a way to also spend some time with these athletes. And, and that was really that really became a big part of the whole experience was the experience and getting to hang out with these guys and talk not sports with them and and a lot of other stuff. But the experience and the relationship became a lot more important in the end than uh, what's the return on investment. Mm hmm. That's going to do it for the first of a series segment. It'll be the first of three episodes on Podslam Pajama that we are debuting once again. That is sponsored by uh, Juan Miranda at Texas Juan on Twitter. Be sure to follow him. Uh, thank you again, Mike Pittman, for joining me on first of three. Star Pizza, Hoop and Holler. Be sure to follow them on Twitter. And we'll see you next time next week. You don't want to miss it. One, The first of three series. Go Cougs. And welcome back to Pod Slam and Jam. As you just heard, uh, the segment is interesting to be able to get behind the scenes of what it was like to start the Hoop and Holler uh, semi-collective at the University of Houston. Obviously, a lot of news coming around the name, image, and likeness when it comes to H-O-U-N-I-L. And uh, a teaser for the eventual launch of Lincoln Cougs that is set to come up soon. But uh, don't miss the second installment of the segment series where we'll talk more about what it was like for Hoop and Holler to be able to work with student athletes and being able to come up with those commercials that you see from Star Pizza that's going to debut in next week's episode and it's going to be uh, one of many coming series once again sponsored by Juan Miranda, UH alum. Now going back into the University of Houston matchup this week against Kansas and like I mentioned at the top uh, in the first segment just in terms of what the Jayhawks have been able to do this season uh, a lot of more buzz around this program and something that Doug Belk said during his availability is that this Kansas team they have a lot more swagger to them they are going to come into TDCU Stadium and a lot more confidence just what they've been able to do overall and it, it seems like they're starting to turn a corner we mentioned where there's different tiers where they're trying to get out of that that uh, basement tier that they have been for so many years and it seems like they're going to be heading in the right direction and obviously when it comes to, to Kansas a lot has been said about their quarterback Jalen Daniels the junior out of Lawndale California just in terms of what he's been able to do and really the challenges he possessed both uh, really with his feet but also through the air here's what uh what Derek Parrish had to say on the quarterback. You know, you know, we respect our opponent greatly, and, and I agree with what Coach Buck said. You know, he, I, he's like more of a sense of a Lamar Jackson. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking whenever we were watching tape on him yesterday. He's quick. He knows how to run. He's good on his feet. And, you know, he, he knows how to make guys miss. So just keeping him contained and uh, keeping that pocket and stopping a run is really what's going to think is our best game plan. 
I mean, I mean, that's really how it is every week, though. You stop the run, you get an opportunity to rush the passer. Most, most definitely. And I, that's why, you know, the D-line room is, you know, I think is a special room to me because, you know, we're all, we're all fighting for to be the best in a room. And, you know, there's there's no animosity in the room as well. And I think that's what makes us closer because we're all competing for that that top spot. But, you know, we all love, love each other in the process. And, you know, we always have fun together on the field, regardless of who's making the plays, who's making more plays. You know, we're always happy for each other regardless. And I, I think that's why uh, our room is so great because, you know, we, we feed off each other. You know, we, you know, once say DA makes a play, C's makes a play, I'm going to be just as happy for him as, as they are with me if I make a play. And, uh, you know, just seeing the guy, you know, you work so hard next to you, you go through the same stuff with every day. You want to see them succeed just like they do with you. And I think that's something special. I think you can't beat that. That was a two-parter in that clip, but I want to focus on the first half where Parrish is talking about Daniels and, and the challenges he poses. Uh, Doug Belk said that, or I think we're going to hear in the upcoming clip from Dana Horst and not Doug Belk, where really they're preparing for something similar to Navy, but just at a higher level, just in terms of what this Kansas team has been able to put on film. I believe they're averaging 55 points a game hit, heading into the game, and day on something you asked about the spread in, the, in our first segment, Houston, last time I checked, Houston opened as nine points favorites i think the spread might have gotten up to around 10 points so houston still favored um relatively heavily not not super heavily but they're still a pretty decent favorites heading into the game but uh i'm sure i know a lot of people especially certainly on social media they've been talking about oh they're not so sure if if houston can win by that comfortable margin so just overall thoughts on the kansas matchup I think it's going to be a, a close game because, like you said, Kansas is trying to get out of one of those basement tiers, as you said, and just prove that they can compete game in and game out, in which you look at Houston and they're a team that will compete. Whether it's a down year or down, you know Houston's going to compete and give you a good game. And so this game, I think, is going to be competitive. It's going to be the third game in a row. Houston has faced a dual-threat quarterback who can throw the ball and also break down defense running the football, which is something that each of the first two quarterbacks they faced has really, really hurt them And, and it, when the play has broken down and they ran with their legs. And so mm-hmm. I think he's probably – more athletic than the first two quarterbacks they have faced. And um, they're going to get some design runs with him particularly. And then he's very elusive. He runs like a running back, like Derek Pierce said. And so yeah, I think they have some athletes out there, especially at running back and a couple big receivers. So I'm going to be intrigued and see if the defense can dominate. Um, they play well, but they haven't dominated like they said that they want to do. And can they do that? And what offense will we get? I mean, the bright spot from the offense, we know Tank is different. But another player who I've seen is different, his next level is Brandon Campbell. I saw flashes mm-hmm. in week one, but that last game against Tech solidified for me that, that he's different. Like you can tell or I can tell when I, I've seen players on the football field that that's different, that's next level. Like Alton McCaskill, he's different, he's next level and so I've seen that with Brandon. I hope his injury situation is okay, but he routinely makes the first person miss. He falls forward for extra two or three yards. He runs hard. He's literally a complete running back, and he was the difference maker. I would um, Clayton Toon is still um, hasn't been as good as I thought he would be. I would say that, but. Um, just a complete game from both sides. I know you're going to have penalties. I don't really look at that. Everyone's going to have penalties. You might have some games, you have one or two, but overall mistakes are going to happen. But execution and domination, will we see it? I, I'm not really too sure. 
Yeah, and Campbell, you mentioned dealing with an undisclosed injury that that uh, Hogerson and, and the UH Athletics Department has has not disclosed. But they said that, or Hogerson said that he's expected to be a game time decision again. Didn't rule him out on Monday. So, like you said, it'll be interesting to see if hopefully he's ready to go for Saturday. And uh, Tejon Henry, the other running back, who um, really he's had a tough start to the season in terms of injuries against UTSA. He injured one ankle. Dana Hogerson said he injured the other ankle um, early on against Texas Tech. So that's really limited his his ability to be out there for Houston um, and once again for back-to-back weeks uh, Hogerson said that they, they weren't necessarily uh, strong injuries for, for Henry but like you mentioned just what, what Campbell has been able to show um, Hogerson said he felt more comfortable being able to stick with, with Campbell just in terms of what he had shown during in the game so that's going to be something to keep an eye on on Saturday when they take on Kansas and, uh, one quick point I want to uh, you mentioned Clayton Toon and he spoke to reporters on Tuesday as well and he said just overall when it comes to the offense, he still feels confident that they can clean stuff up because uh, what he said, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, he said the biggest thing for, for the offense early on has been just not being able to execute with the little details. He said there's been a lot of different things, whether it be you know the missing assignments, alignments, and stuff like that, that they need to clean up. And he said he feels confident that, that they can get that done. Uh, what say you have? Do you, do you still have confidence in the offense overall? It, it still seems like they've been trying to figure stuff out during the course of the first two games of the season? I think they still can't figure things out. Do I have confidence in them to – I don't have confidence in them to do particularly anything, but I think they can figure it out and play better. But I don't think there could be over – a dominating offense or offense game in and game out. You're like, oh, they're at least going to put up 30 points. I don't know Mm -hmm. if we have that type of – I know we have that type of talent, so I take that back. I just don't know if they will do that as a unit. And I mean, I just expect more from Clayton Toon. I mean, the way he played in the second half of UTSA, if he carried that over against Tech and it makes more plays, I think we win. That last third down before they kicked the field goal in overtime, it was Tank one-on-one in the slide. Beat this man off mm-hmm. the press, no safety over the top. It's a, And he made the wrong read and threw it to Matthew Golden, who had one-on-one on the outside. But, I mean, your first read, I would think, would be Tank. And so um, it's just a lot of little plays that I, I think the offense definitely can correct. So I will say they can get better. But the bright spot, like I said, is Brandon Campbell for sure. Um, the passing game really has been – you have to they have to scheme passing games, a wide receiver screen, like um, just little things. That, and for a fifth-year quarterback, I would expect more. I expect them to be able to sling it around the field. You got re- young receivers, but if you can put the ball in the air, they can make plays. I just – Expected more, but now it kind of made me temper my expectation and brought me down the reality of um, what the team is at this point or where the program is at this point that I should say. They are keeping it straight. And on that note, we'll go uh, to what Dana Horizon had to say about Kansas and the upcoming match. Well, it's a, it, you know, it, and I'm still studying it. I haven't yeah. got anything figured out right now, you know, but they're unique on offense now. I mean, they're not going to just drop back like Texas Tech. I mean, they're, you know, it's got options, you know, mentality. I mean, it's, it's almost like prepping for Navy, you know, with, with athletic people that can make plays. You know, the quarterback, everybody's like, well, how are you going to tackle the quarterback? Well, it's a little different situation with Daniels, who's a really good dynamic player. He's almost, he's more of a running back that can throw the thing. You know, as opposed to like what we faced last week with just drop back after drop back. And if he, if the guy snuck out of there, he was good enough and athletic enough to be able to 
to get you know 20 yards uh, on you real quick. If, you know, we got to do a better job of containing that, and we didn't do a very good job of containing that at times. Um, this is a whole different animal. I mean, this is this is a lot of offense. Uh, they're really good up front. You know, they're, they're you know, brought a couple of kids with them from Buffalo. Uh, you know, that can really play, that know the offense. Um, this staff's unique now. I mean, they've been together for a while, and they do a lot of stuff. So it takes continuity within your coaching staff to be able to do all this stuff. So we got our work cut out for us defensively. Off, you know, offensively, we, we got to get better. Um, you know, these guys are got good team speed in the secondary. They, you know, they're big up front, and they, they, play, they play their tail off probably the Again, that was head coach Dana Hogerson talking much more specifically about the matchup against Kansas. And we mentioned Jalen Daniels early on, and, and really he, he put up some strong numbers against West Virginia. The, that's probably the game that, that turned a lot of more eyeballs just in terms of maybe not necessarily believing that they could go up and, and be able to, to, to pull it off, albeit it was an overtime game. But they put up 55 points on the road, and Daniels in particular torched uh, West Virginia both on the ground and through the air, threw for three passing touchdowns. And he also rushed for 85 yards just by himself on the ground. So he's really he's been he's been able to put together a strong season. And uh, like you heard Hogerson say right there, just in terms of a different animal, they move people up front, which is as um, from an offense per- perspective for Houston has been something they struggled with. This is not the case for Kansas. Just looking at their numbers top to bottom, they've only played two games. It's barely two games into the season, and they have three different players that have rushed for over 100 yards. And really, it, it uh, kind of similar to Texas Tech when it comes to two, uh, two-headed monster uh, in the backfield, that running back in Devin Neal and Daniel Hishaw. But Jalen Daniels right there also has rushed for over 100 yards for Kansas. So um, it's going to be interesting to say – Maybe you could expect a similar offense to Navy, just maybe a lot more toned up, toned up to 100. I would say you were going to be the challenges when it comes to being able to stop uh, a rushing attack that has been as strong that, that Kansas has shown early on. I think the challenge is going to be in the trenches, controlling the line of scrimmage and forcing Kansas to throw the football. Daniels has been efficient throwing the football thus far, and so he shows that makes the right decision, but a lot of it is predicated off of play action. So if you can stifle that run play, like Derek Paris said, you force them into passing situations, then you can rush the passer. But first thing first, you got to stop the run, and with his element, to run the football with himself. It brings it another layer to stop because often they can get a running back out and blocking and have that extra man and get Jalen get him out Daniels out in the open field to be able to get one on one matchups. And so tackling is going to be key and winning the line of scrimmage is going to, going to be key. But it's a very impressive win over West Virginia who played primetime week one to get to pit, a ranked pit team, took them all the way down to a wire and and then they ended up beating the West Virginia. So I think this team is definitely ready to compete. They're still embracing that underdog role, and they're looking to go on the road against a team coming into the Big 12, looking to establish who they are by losing the Tech. Um, I think I'm sure in Kansas seeing that, they have to have a lot of confidence coming into Houston. Absolutely. And from the offensive 
side of things um, for Houston. I think that might be something that this is the week where they struggled early on during the first two games against UTSA and Texas Tech. This is a week that they're going to have to get things rolling, especially you know, against a high-powered Kansas offense to be able to match up on the board. But uh, even though Kansas was able to put up 55 on West Virginia, they also gave up 42. So you'd imagine that uh, Houston is looking at this matchup. And uh, if they – this is kind of a game where they, they should start showing some of those things, like you mentioned, on offense, where uh, at least starts to show flashes. Like you mentioned, they do have talent at different skill positions, especially at receiver where they have a lot of young guys. So it'll be interesting to see if they can figure things out on an offensive perspective with you. Yep, they got to get clicking. They got to build rhythm. They have to, I think, get going early uh, because when you – don't establish long drives. That was one thing they were really, really good at last year was time of possession. And what that does is getting first downs and building a rhythm and getting um, establishing a long drive is what I'm trying to say. And so without that, they haven't been able to do it. And I think it's really the passing game is what's been struggling. I mean, the running game was okay in week one. I'm not going to say it struggled. It was okay. Clayton had an extra element later in that game by running the football, but that's all part of the running game. And then you look at last week, Brandon Campbell played really, really good. He was electric and was the best part of that offense. And so I, I think it's the passing game. I, I got to be honest um, when I'm giving my opinion and my assessment from what I see in the passing game has to be better. Um, Clayton Toon, in my opinion, has to play better. Fifth-year senior, you've seen a lot. You know the offense. I expect I expect more from him to make more plays uh, with his arm. I mean, not the first read is taken away. I go to two or three reads. Not saying he isn't doing that, but I'm expecting him to make plays. I watched the entire Texas versus Alabama game, and I knew um, Texas kicking those field goals with a great quarterback like Bryce Young. There's no way you give him the football with a ton of time, and he's not going to eventually make a play and break his break his take his team down to the to the um, red zone and score a touchdown. And so, um, he, in my opinion, the quarterback has to play better for Houston to take that next step. For sure. And that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the new Pod Slime Pajama YouTube account. We've noticed uh, something particular where early on we're still – uh, a week, a week that we've launched officially under Pod Slime and Jamma. We'd like to thank those of you that have already subscribed to the channel on YouTube. We're extremely grateful. We've also noticed that 70% of our viewers aren't subscribing. It, it, it would really do us a, a huge favor just to be able to hit the subscribe button. It's free and it takes you know, seconds to do it. So if you haven't done so already, please be sure to hit it. If you have already, make sure you give us a like and thank you for the support. Dayan, I'll let you say the final word um, overall. Long season ago, still a chance to reach the team goals ultimately. And so I'm not giving up on the Cougs one bit. You just got, just got to stack it win by win, game by game. You can't leave an episode without saying go Cougs.